This Choircast podcast is brought to you by the book Drugs and Jesus by Josh Lawson. It's no secret that churches are stumbling in the dark when they look for ways to effectively serve people who use drugs. As the death toll of accidental drug overdose continues to rise across our country at an alarming rate, Christians are struggling to connect their faith with this urgent and holy work. Faith-based activists are attempting to bridge the gap, but so far, their message has been confined to socially progressive circles. Drugs and Jesus is the first book of its kind to pioneer a theological framework for people of faith, and especially evangelical Christians, to help them engage in the ministry of harm reduction. Drawing from my own groundbreaking efforts to equip faith communities at the epicenter of America's rural opioid crisis, Drugs and Jesus takes readers on a journey of theological and practical transformation that will help them learn how to better serve the most vulnerable members of their community, all without having to become experts in the field of addiction or theology. Drugs and Jesus releases from Choir Publishing on April the 11th. Don't miss it. Hey, this is Derek Webb, and you're listening to Second Cup with Keith, my favorite caffeinated theology podcast. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I am, of course, your host, Keith Giles. In this episode, I wanted to talk about something that kind of annoys me. Um, If you know me, if you've listened to me on any other podcast interviews or uh, anything like that before, heard me speak or anything like that, um, you probably have heard me mention at least once um, that I have kind of a pet peeve when it comes to worship music and specifically. this one right here I want to talk about. Uh, there, so there's a song. Uh, it's called King of My Heart. It's really popular. It's on Christian radio. If you listen to that kind of thing, I really don't. But uh, yes, it gets played on Christian radio a lot. And for a while there, every time Wendy and I would visit uh, a church, uh, you know, out of town or something, maybe visiting friends or something like that, or one of our kids, uh, we would go to church. And then sure enough, this song uh, would just pop up it was kind of a joke like after a while like come on every time we go somewhere here's that song and here's the deal it's otherwise it's a really good song there's just one thing about it that annoys me but for the most part it's not a bad song i mean there's there's a part of the chorus which is you know kind of like you know talking about how god is you know oh you're good good yeah yeah something like that you know and i love that part yes god is good and that's wonderful it's the part this is the part that really bugs me which really is kind of the the real chorus of the song, uh, and it, it says, and every time we came to this part of the, you know, we're being church somewhere, and 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 it would go to this chorus, I would just roll my eyes. But uh, everyone's raising their hands, you know, you know, you're all in worship, and you if you if you've ever been in a church, and you know what I'm talking about, right? They come to this part of the song, and they say, "You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down." And every time I hear that, I want to jump up on the pew or on the chair and just say oh yes he will because listen if you have not been disappointed by god yet if god hasn't let you down so far i just want to say give it some time and you will definitely understand why this idea that god will never let you down it just doesn't line up with reality i mean look the only thing required for you to experience being let down by somebody, right, is simply that you have an expectation of how they're going to behave, and then they don't behave the way you expected them to, right? So, for example, right, if you believe that your spouse is going to surprise you with flowers on your anniversary, 
or if you expect that your kids are going to decide to eat their broccoli instead of, you know, eating dessert, or if you expect your boss to give you that promotion instead of that other guy in the office, or whatever, you are inevitably going to experience disappointment in your life because you expect these people to behave a certain way, and then they don't. They behave a different way, right? And so listen, in your faith journey, um, if you have uh, if you have never expected God to zig and then been surprised and disappointed when God instead zags, just give it some time. I mean, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. Because, look, we, all of us, we often place expectations on God for certain outcomes, right? We expect God is going to bless us or answer prayer, protect us from harm, provide financially, you know, whatever. So many other things, right? And then when God doesn't fall in line with our expectations, we inevitably will experience disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, and despair. So, look, I'm sorry to be, if I'm the first one to break this to you, uh, but look, when people want to sing, you're never going to let me down, I'm just going to tell you the truth. The truth is that, yes, God will absolutely, inevitably, and quite often let you down. God will almost always zig when you expect God to zag. God will almost, I want to say, almost always resist any sort of formula or repeatable pattern behavior. And listen, I get it. We love patterns, don't we? I mean, I I think on one level, most of us kind of wish that this is the way that God would, would relate to us, right? We want God to just say, look, hey, God, look, if I do A and then and then you do B, then C will happen. And we would love for that to happen. But we want a formula uh, at some level, right? Um, we want a formula or a pattern, right? And um, the, the problem, though, with formulas is that once you have a repeatable formula, you don't need God anymore because you have a formula. And see, I believe this is the reason why God will always resist behaving in a formula. In fact, again, this is just my experience. If it's not yours, try it out sometime. Because there have been times in my life where, you know, maybe I I, I did something or I prayed a certain way, and then God did something or something happened, and, and I got the outcome that I wanted. And I would say, oh, that's awesome. Okay, great. Okay, God, I got it. And then the next time I would try and do the same thing and repeat that formula, it wouldn't work. It just doesn't work this way. Because God's desire is to become intertwined with us in our daily lives. God desires a relationship, a connection, an ongoing moment-by-moment, breath-by-breath, heartbeat-by-heartbeat connection with us. Not a contractual agreement. Right? And so, you know, we talked before about this, the fact that what Jesus describes, when Jesus talks about eternal life in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about this as, he says, eternal life is to know God and his Son. But it's not episteme, the Greek word for information. It's gnosko, the Greek word for intimacy between a husband and a wife. And so what God's desire is, is to invite us into this gnosko, intimate relationship, ongoing relationship 
connection, right? A deep, deep, deep connection with God on a regular basis. That's what God wants, not a formula. And so, and so this is good news. <laughs> uh, God is unpredictable. God is not a formula. God is not a mathematical equation where A plus B equals C. And this is the reason why we cannot relate to God on this superficial level. We can, we cannot fully experience the life of Christ within us without stepping into this beautiful uncertainty where every waking moment requires us to become fully and completely surrendered to the unpredictably creative God of this infinite universe that is expanding exponentially into greater and greater mysteries that unfold beyond anything we can think of or dream of or imagine. So, going back to the song lyric, this is why it really bothered me so much. Because it sets people up. We're setting people up with an unrealistic expectation of their faith in God. And we are guaranteeing that many of them are going to fall away from their faith as soon as something unexpected happens. And so we have to prepare ourselves and one another to deal with the inevitable disappointment and disillusionment that is part of, that's part of the DNA of our faith in God. Right? The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty. And that means we cannot have a genuine experience of our faith without understanding how normal it is for all of us to come to a place in our journey and our, our walk with God where we just have to admit we don't know what's going on. We don't understand what God is doing. So yes, there will be times in your life and in your journey of faith when you will have to stop and sit down on the side of the road and ask God, what is going on? Or where are you, God? Or God, why is this happening to me? And I think this is one of the reasons why many of us love the book of Psalms. It's why I love the book of Psalms. You know, because King David and the other psalmists had a beautiful way of mixing their songs of incredible praise and, and faith with just a breathtaking, uh, just an honest vulnerability, right? So, you know, the, the Psalms are both equal parts uh, exuberant praise and broken-hearted disappointment. So for every God is exalted above the heavens, we have a verse in the Psalms that says, God, why are you so far from me? Right? For every who is like our God, there's the question, God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, one of my all-time favorite Psalms is Psalms 88. If you haven't read it, I, I encourage you to read it because it's the kind of thing I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I can't read the whole thing, but just reading some excerpts, like starting in verse 2, it says, May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. God, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? But I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning. 
My prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken from me my family and my neighbor, and darkness is my closest friend. Wow. What a, what a line. Darkness is my closest friend. And listen, sometimes this is reality. People, I mean, can we just be honest with ourselves? And that's why I appreciate so much of the scriptures that it, it contains books like Ecclesiastes or Job or Lamentations and, and Psalms like this that are not afraid to tell the entire truth that sometimes life is hard, that bad things really do happen to good people, and that really none of us escapes trouble or sorrow in this life. Jesus was very clear about that. Again, I very, very much appreciate that Jesus did not promise any sort of magical, you know, get out of suffering free card. Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. So that means, yep, stuff happens to everybody. We all go through it. Like, we don't need to worry about finding trouble. Trouble will find us just fine on its own. And Jesus doesn't promise that, you know, he's going to help us avoid trouble or escape suffering or magically breeze through our life without difficulty. No, the promise Jesus gives us is this, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the promise that we have is this, Hebrews 13.5. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So God never suggests that our faith is going to get us out of trouble or pain or suffering. On the contrary, it's often people's faith that gets them into the trouble. Right? We're so quick to say, oh, Daniel, Daniel had such faith that, you know, uh, his faith is what helped him get out of the lion's den, but we forget it's his faith that got him in the lion's den in the first place. And so <laughs> in this life, as Jesus says, we will all experience the same trouble, don't we? And we isn't that true? Haven't we found that to be true? We all experience trouble, suffering, fears, doubts, disappointments. Same as everybody else. It's just the way things are. And God's promise to us is that when we go through these things, and we will go through them, the promise is from God, we will never go through them alone. Right? Going back to David, one of our favorite psalms, Psalms 23. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. God's rod and staff comfort me. And so... This is what I want you to know. Yes, sometimes in your life, God will let you down, meaning you will expect your life to go one way and it will go another way. You will expect God to do one thing and God won't do that thing. God, it doesn't mean, listen, and when those things happen, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean God isn't good. It doesn't mean God doesn't care. What it means is, sometimes, that our expectations of God aren't aligned with reality. Our faith journey is all about learning to hear God's voice. It's learning to walk with God through the darkness and the pain and learning to trust that God is there even when we don't feel it. 
So, yes, God will fail to meet your expectations, but it's our expectations that need to change, not our faith in a God who never changes. Now, my life, this has played out several times. Uh, The first time I ever experienced this crushing disappointment uh, was in high school. I had met this amazing girl over the summer. Uh, she was she was from Houston. Um, I was in El Paso at the time. Uh, I was going to be a junior the next year. She was going to be a senior the next year and graduate. Uh, and I thought she was the one for me. So we started, you know, writing letters to each other uh, over the summer. I mean, well, over the school year when school started. And um, I really thought she's the one I'm going to marry, right? And um, I had this desire, this plan. She had she had mentioned in the letters back and forth that she was graduating, and she said, I wish you could be there. And that was just enough for me to say, oh, God, this is my goal. I'm going to be there. I want to be there to see her graduate. So I'm not going to go into the whole story. It's an amazing story, I'm, but I'm going to hit the highlights because it, it's I'm, listen, I'm telling you, I'm not going to, there's more, there's way more to the story than I can tell you in this podcast. But even what I'm going to tell you is going to blow your mind. So uh, anyway, there was just a long series of miracles, more than I'd ever had in my life. It felt like God was like, I was closer to God than I'd ever been before. God was giving me verses and dreams and visions and confirmations and all the stuff. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is the one. This is the girl for me. And anyway, my, my plan to get down to Houston to see her graduate, uh, the, the two big hurdles that I had to overcome, one was that the school year, the timing of, of the school year in Houston versus the school year in El Paso was off by one week, and her graduation was going to be uh, during the week that I would normally be taking my finals here in El Paso. And so I had to get a waiver signed from my principal of my high school, allowing me an exemption, me personally, an exemption that I was allowed to take my finals with our seniors because our seniors were going to take their finals a week earlier. And so if I took my finals a week early with the, the, the other seniors, but I wasn't a senior, okay, just because I wanted to go see my girlfriend graduate. Anyway, if, if I could get the permission, get the exemption signed by the principal, I could take my finals early and then I'd be free that next week to travel down and see her graduate, right? Okay, that was the first hurdle. The second hurdle was money. I had no way to get a ride or or buy a plane ticket to fly down or drive down to Houston to get there. Like, how would I get there, right? So my plan was I was going to do a bunch of odd jobs. I was talking to people in my church. I made announcements at church. Like, you know, I'll mow your grass. I'll clean your windows. I'll whatever you want me to do, you know, hire me. I'll paint your house. Like, uh, trying to raise money. I didn't raise a dime. Not a single person in my church ever hired me for anything. I could not raise. I didn't have any money. So I have no way to get down there and I don't have permission to get down there. So anyway, like maybe like three weeks before, three or four weeks before uh, all this is, needs to happen and I got nothing. I'm like, God, I give up. You're going to have to make this happen because I, I can't do it. I, I can't overcome these two hurdles. So um, anyway, I got the waiver from the office, I went up, I walked up to my principal, he was standing in the hallway, I had this whole speech prepared that I was going to, you know, try to convince him why he needed to sign this, you know, true love, blah, blah, blah. I walk up to him, and uh, I've got the thing in my hand, and I, I start to say my speech, and he just whips it out of my hand, signs it, gives it back to me, and he was having a conversation with the uh, associate principal. So they just keep talking, and I was like, 
oh my gosh, it was that easy. Like it just happened, right? Whoa, I got permission. So there you go, first hurdle uh, crossed. But I still had no way to get down there. But then like maybe two weeks before finals um, and and then like three weeks before her graduation, um, I get a phone call from my youth pastor here in El Paso. And he says, Keith, good news and bad news. Bad news, I'm not going to be your youth pastor anymore. We're moving. Good news, we're moving to Houston. Would you like to help me move and get a ride to Houston? Because he knew I was trying to get down to Houston. So, um, yeah, there you go. That was my that was my ride. So immediately, two hurdles, totally, easily, effortlessly, without my I, I had no control over any of these things. Right? Two two amazing things happened. Two miracles. Well, so I do help my youth pastor move. I drive with him down to Houston. I help him move into his house, and guess where his house is? And I'm not making this up. She lives across the street. So, <laughs> I mean, listen, you're a teenager like I was. You you believe that this is the girl you're going to marry. Uh, you are praying all, all school year for this miracle to happen. At the last second, these two amazing miracles happen. And to the degree that, um, to the degree that she lives across the street. Come on. You can't plan that, right? You can't even dream that up. So anyway, uh, spent the summer with her, uh, had a wonderful time down there with her. And then ironically did a, did, started working down there, doing odd jobs down there, painting houses, moving trash, pouring concrete, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I made so much money. I was able to buy her a ring. I bought her a ring. And I also had money to, um, I had money to buy a plane ticket to fly home. And anyway, we kept writing and I really thought she was the one. And a few weeks later, she broke up with me. So I felt ripped off. I mean, I was like, God, what did you do? God, I really felt like God had ripped me off. God had tricked me, right? God, you knew this was going to happen. So why did you do all these miracles? Why did you move heaven and earth? Why did you give me all these amazing, for me, what I, what I really believe that God was saying She's the one. And and look how God is moving heaven and earth to make sure that this relationship works out. And then it didn't. So that was the first time. Uh, I really, I gave up on God. I didn't pray for my senior year. I I was rebellious as I could possibly be. Ironically, I felt like God was closer to me during the year I was running away from him than any other time. Uh, But that's another story. Bottom line, though, God let me down. And I felt like a total fool. I felt like God pulled the rug out from under me and made me look stupid. Um, so anyway, that was the first time, but it wasn't the last time. Okay. And I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to share this. This is a uh, really personal, and again, I'm not going to go into all the details, but, um, probably the most painful time Wendy and I ever went through this, uh, we had a miscarriage and it was, it was after God had given Wendy a dream where God essentially said to her in the dream, in the dream, she was having a miscarriage. And in the dream, God spoke to her and said, don't say this child will die if I say it will live. And uh, so then, that was before the miscarriage. And then she started to lose the baby. And uh, so we held on. Of course, what else are we going to do? We held on to that dream. It's like God in advance had given us a promise. So we held on to that promise. God, you've spoken. You gave us a dream. And you told us this wasn't going to, we weren't going to lose this child. And then we did. And that hurt. That, that personally for me was a huge, huge test of my faith. God, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. That, that sucks. 
Right. Uh, and so once again, we went through a season where we were disappointed. And we it was painful, right? And it was several years before I was able to really make peace with God, with that horrible experience, right? To see that, you know, I think we've reached a place now where Wendy and I would say that what God intended in that dream was to say to us that the, the child wasn't dead, that this child is alive in God's presence right now. And to not let, not lose that perspective, that eternal perspective, right? Even if, even if we did lose the child uh, in the physical, uh, here and now. But the reality is we had to wrestle with those feelings. We had to go through that disappointment, that valley of the shadow of death, that crushing disappointment and test of our faith. And so I just want to say, have you ever gone through something like that? I mean, chances are you have something like that. And if not, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, give it some time. Because these experiences are not uncommon, right? Things happen. And so I do want this, though, to be encouraging. Uh, I do want this podcast to be something that encourages you. And I guess a verse that really has uh, helped me a lot is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through seven. Because what it says, I'm going to read it to you in a second, but, but essentially what the verse says is that when we go through suffering, it's not in vain. The suffering that we go through has a purpose, not just for ourselves, but for others. So it begins, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And like This is the way Paul begins this, this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Uh, it's just beautiful. I love that. And so look, I, I'm, I may not always be sure of so much <laughs> when it comes to life and suffering and things like disappointment, but I, but I believe I can say this. Yes, God will let you down. God will zig when you expect God to zag. It's going to happen. But rather than blame God when things don't go our way, perhaps, maybe, maybe it's better to simply trust that God never leaves us, even when life disappoints us, that God is not the author of our suffering, but God walks with us through the suffering, that God is always working to collaborate with us to bring good out of our bad experiences whenever possible, that even the suffering we go through isn't for nothing because it, the comfort we receive from God as we go through those seasons of darkness and doubt is the same comfort that we can extend to others when they go through similar sufferings. So, in this world, 
we will have troubles. But Christ has overcome the world. And we have a, a Heavenly Father, an Abba, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of doubt and disappointment and even death. And whatever we go through, we never go through it alone. And now that is something worth singing about. Don't you think? Anyway, thank you so much for taking time to sit and have a second cup with me. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions for future episodes of Second Cup with Keith, please let me know. Uh, you can find me on uh, social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also follow me at my blog, KeithGiles.com. And um, I want to also quickly let everyone know um, that we have an upcoming a brand new round. We're starting our third year of the Square One uh, deconstruction course and uh, community. Uh, the next round begins August 22nd. And uh, we typically take 15 to 20 people. We've already got a couple of people signed up. So if you're interested in this, uh, I usually offer a 75% discount to my listeners and uh, people that follow me on uh, on my blog or on Facebook, etc. So uh, you can find a, a link for a 75% discount um, on my blog, keychouse.com, usually at the bottom of my posts. But if you can't find it or you need it, again, just send me a private message. I'm happy to uh, send you that link. And, and um, also, by the way, for people who say, look, Keith, I, I really need, you know, a community of people to walk with me through my deconstruction, reconstruction process. Um, square one is something I really need, but I just can't afford it. Not even at the 75% discount. Um, then again, uh, let me know because we, we have had some people who have generously donated to make sure that we can have some free seats available. In fact, some of the people who've been through square one have, have turned around and said, you know what, I'm, I'll buy another seat for the next person. So that's beautiful. I really appreciate that. So, so there are some free sponsored seats available for square one, not many a couple. So if you would like one and you need one, again, contact me, send me a private message. Let me know. Let me know your story. Let me know what's going on with you and, and why you need this. And yeah, I'm happy to extend that to you. And then um, I also want to say uh, my brand new book, Solo Mysterium, is out. It's doing extremely well. We have a course for that as well that'll, that'll be starting August the 8th. It'll run for three weeks. It's $19.99, super affordable. And we basically will read through the book together, uh, a chapter at a time, and there'll be additional materials. There's so much extra stuff that I wasn't able to put into the book. Um, so we'll be taking a much, much deeper dive down the rabbit hole of uh, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything together and embracing the mystery. And if you're interested in that, again, you can find information about that on my blog or uh, on social media. Again, thank you so much for listening to Second Cup with Keith. I look forward to sharing a second cup again with you very soon. Thanks. God bless.